folks, welcome to the AfterJet podcast. Our guest this episode is Shannon Law. From writing for blogs and local publications during Jet, Shannon now works as a journalist for Black Press in British Columbia and Canada, writing articles on the social and political issues of the day. Writing and journalism is the theme for this episode. And the news will Okay, um, so I was there, I went in 2009, I went to Komi Machi in Nagano, and I was only going to stay one year, and I ended up staying three, uh, mainly because the community was so welcoming, and uh, there were a lot of uh, outdoor activities that I could do, hiking, snowboarding, yeah, it, it was just, it was a great opportunity. While I was an ALT, I also worked on the Yomoyama magazine, which was a uh, English magazine for English speakers in the in the prefecture. I was the assistant editor and contributor and I was always into writing and I remember so when um, the tsunami happened in 2011 and the earthquake I went to volunteer in the region for a week and I took some photos and I thought you know, maybe I'll try to freelance and and write about what my experiences were there. And I realized how unprepared I was um, to freelance, um, not necessarily writing, but how to do it and the steps that you need to take and networking and all that. So uh, when I finished, um, I did some more traveling after I left Japan. I got my yoga teacher trainer license in Nepal, which, so I'm a yoga teacher now as well. <laughs> And um, so that was a slight aside. And then I came back to Ontario in Canada and applied right away for the Masters of Journalism program, the oldest journalism school in Canada, in Ottawa. And it was a two-year program. And I I think I got in, honestly, based on my experience in JET. So only 20 people get in. So it was a pretty intense program. I They paid for my schooling because I was a TA as well with my teaching experience. And... Um, through that, I um, yeah, I took a lot of my traveling experience too from being in jet and knowing that I'm capable in countries where I don't speak the language, and I use that to get a, to get a grant to, to um, do my master's thesis in northern India. So I did that for a summer, and then and then now I'm out of school and I'm a working journalist. <laughs> I freelanced for a while, and then I, I wanted something more stable, and I wanted to go somewhere north because I still have that adventure spirit, and I wanted to go to um, BC. So I'm on the north coast of BC. I'm pretty close to Alaska, actually, and I work for the local newspaper, and I teach teach yoga on the side. So it's been good. <laughs> well, just as an aside, uh, actually, I was a jet in Fukushima during 2010-2011. So, oh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, how else uh, do you think your jet experience helped you? But how else has it been continuing to sort of pay off dividends, I guess? <laughs> pay off dividends. <laughs> um, I, I'm able to network with having jet as part of my resume. So I've met people in this community that I've connected with that have also been on JET. And so it's like an automatic you know, bonding experience when you see someone, you're just like, oh, I was on JET too. And then you started speaking to them about things. And so it kind of helps me out because I, when I first moved here, I met a couple people that were in JET. And, um, and so automatically I was kind of welcomed in their circle kind of thing. And actually when I was in, um, in Ottawa too, I started doing some of the, the language courses they had and I met people that way um, through the JET alumni. <laughs> and so it was, it, it was neat because um, it adds that little extra to your resume and um, to your character that makes people want to hire you, I think. I know for the master's program, 
I had probably some of the least amount of actual journalism experience getting into that program. So that's why I think having that experience in Japan with JET helped. And it also helps to public speaking and just feeling comfortable with people and being in awkward weirdo situations and just being comfortable with (laughs) being there because how many times do you step outside your comfort zone when you're in Japan and now I'm constantly stepping out of my comfort zone. Yeah, it's, it's funny when you, when you say that, you recall all these various memories of really, really awkward like situations <laughs> where I get like my lesson plan that has, you know, four classes. I remember one t- class that said Tokubetsu on it. I didn't even say what it was. I asked the teacher, I was like, oh, it's special time. It's like, okay, it's elementary school. And what is it? She said, oh, you know, we'll get more classes together. What does that mean? And so I get pulled into the gym, and there was like 120 kids there, all waiting for something. No planning. <laughs> yes, entertain us because I said before and I'll say it again. Yeah, Jets ALTs are basically sideshow bulbs. We're we're the comedy relief. We're not real teachers. Do you, do you remember any particular awkward situations that were challenging on Jet? There's so many. <laughs> so many. <laughs> yeah, there was. <laughs> Well, no, there were a few of those where you're sitting in the staff room and all of a sudden you notice nobody's around. Everybody's gone and you're just like, what the heck? And then you go and you it, it's silent in the halls and the classes and then you realize everyone's in the gym and, and you're like, why didn't anyone invite me? And they're like, oh, Shannon, Shannon Sensei, you look so busy. I'm like, really? <laughs> invite me next time. Or just even um, the meetings we had to go to where it was entirely in Japanese the whole yeah. time. Yeah. And you're just sitting there for eight hours of the meeting. Yeah. And then they would <laughs> be like, well, I have no idea what's going on. And then they would parade all the English speakers at one point together and just discuss and come up with lesson plans and things like that. But it was always, that was always kind of odd. But it's good. It was, you know, it's an experience. <laughs> Actually, one of my favorite stories Dave told me was about when you were trying to be cool with the skateboard. So you'd like yeah. skateboard to school. <laughs> just to kids. <impress> <laughs> Well, I got that idea from another teacher, Adam, who was also a Canadian. You know, Canadians and their bad yeah. influences. And he was like skateboarding to school <laughs> cool points to the students. So I tried to do it and I skateboard all my students like, oh sweetie David skateboards and all that and well, I did end up falling on the way out back to school, but we'll talk about that. <laughs> but when I got there, I get there. And the principal basically like I put my skateboard on my desk and all that and he's my vice principal is not a nice man. And it was in front of like all 40 people, like looks at me and he just like shouts like, so how'd you get to school today? (laughs) (laughs) You went by skateboard. You ride that on the sidewalk or the road. Did you have a helmet? What do you do in traffic situations? Like, and he was taking notes too. (laughs) And then, yeah, and then I stopped after school on my butt really bad and, you know, trying to do something trick. I was like, I'm not going to be a skateboard in life. Jet handling awkwardness or just learning not to care really. But but anyway, it was very Mm -hmm. embarrassing because about 100 people walked in the hall. While this teacher is questioning me like a child and like telling me I should, <laughs> <laughs> I skateboard helmet in hand. I was like, "I'll do what I want, Dad." Like, <laughs> <laughs> what's an average day at your local paper here? What do you do on a daily basis? Tell us about the, the ups and downs of the job. So the newspaper, there's only really we just got a third reporter, so we do everything, which is neat. So Mondays we do production, we put the paper together and then send it off to the press. And then every other day, I set up interviews, I do research, I you know go out, cover stories. And every day it's something different, right? And um, every week I also do um, a profile on someone in the community. And I'm always trying to do someone, either there's a lot of First Nations here, mm. 
so I'm trying to more First Nation stories, and um, and there's and I love multicultural stories as well. There's actually a, for such a, for twelve thousand people in this town, there's a lot of people from around the world here, and a lot of Japanese too, which is kind of neat. It's a port city, so that's probably why. <laughs> Work my butt off all day. Usually, I get to Friday, and I'm like, oh gosh, where did the time go? Like, I wish it wasn't Friday, <laughs> which I like. You know, I'm not always sitting down. Sometimes I do sit all day, but other days I'm out and about meeting people and interviewing. And then after work, uh, now on Thursday nights, I teach yoga. I teach two classes, and I teach on Sundays too. Another thing that I added from living in Japan was running. As Dave knows, I got into running when I was there, like long distance, and I've continued that. I'm a little bit more balanced than I was in Japan, where I basically wore my knees to nothing. But uh, <laughs> I did. <laughs> so now I'm a little bit more balanced. I continue that, and that's another form of networking, right? And I got into organizing the running club when I was in Nagano, which I think has continued on. I don't know. I saw, I noticed it had for a couple of years after I left, and and so here and other places I've been I've organized things, and and I like doing that because I hadn't really done that before. I was just thinking, like from a perspective, is someone listening to this and they're current jet and they're thinking of getting to journalism? Yeah, and to add to that comment. Like along with it, do you have anything you know now that you wish you knew then? Like any advice in hindsight too? You know, both of those comments: advice and advice in hindsight. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> sure. Uh, well, I would definitely can be involved as much as possible in those magazines. That I think not every prefecture has them, but if they do, uh, become an editor or a writer for it or a contributor. And then also with freelancing. I would recommend, everything's on the internet now though, right? <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's more instructional now and you could probably YouTube how to do it, but figure out how to freelance first and learn how to pitch stories and who the right people are to, to talk to are. If you're interested in writing, for example, for Outside Magazine and you're in Nagano, you know, pitch a story. First of all, make sure that the story you want to pitch hasn't already been done. Mm-hmm. Find an awesome trail in Nagano that you want to hike and you're going to write your story about. Take great pictures, so bring a digital SLR camera with you. Uh, and then pitch your story by by basically showing that you can do it and have something really quick. Because they get they get pitches all the time. Not I'm sure outside does, but I mean a lot of a lot of editors get lots of pitches. So you have to say something that's catchy, like clickbait. And and then yeah, and then anticipate for magazines especially. They probably, if you freelance for them, they probably won't take your article until two or three seasons later. Mm. So think about it that way. If you're doing a hike, let's say in the spring or the summer, you'll pitch it for the the following year because so like, they oh, usually have your magazine, or or do it the the previous year. Have your photos and every and your ideas of how you're going to do the story prepared, then do the hike the following year and have it then. So you always have to have things lined up. It's freelancing doesn't pay well. <laughs> That's another thing. So if you're interested, get started now and work towards, you know, building your your portfolio. And that's the other big thing is have a portfolio. So I have one now. Um, in Japan, I had a blog. It was just a WordPress.com blog, but I would recommend trying to host your own website, maybe going through GoDaddy or Bluehost, and you know, play around. I find there's a lot of time in Japan in the evenings <laughs> when you're in your community. Maybe not on weekends. But in evenings, you can mess around and learn how to do your own website, and that is so key. Doing, being able to do video, photos, and writing, 
uh, is usually what people are looking for now. You have to be a jack of all trades and just write as much as possible. It's funny. It's like the whole preparation beforehand. I keep thinking about uh, when I was in ALT, you know, you'd have to have a whole bunch of fallback material because you never know at the last minute whether or not the teacher is going to get you to run the class by yourself or you're changing lessons or suddenly as you walked in, you're handed a new schedule for that day. Instead of having one class in the afternoon like you thought, uh, it's like, oh no, you're doing the whole day now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, be prepared and always have that emergency. Now that you bring it up, that's one of the greatest lessons I've learned in Japan. Being able to improvise with confidence and having a backup plan always. So just assuming yeah. that maybe someone will show up and having something to do. I have ha I've had that with yoga even, where someone needs a sub at the last minute, I'm able to cover. And I've had that, all of a sudden I get a call Shannon, you have to go interview this guy, a member of the of parliament, who was the first guy in outer, outer space for Canada. And I'm wow. like, okay, let's do this. And you have to sound like you know what you're talking about. You know, how do you prep? How do you get everything done in a, such a short period of time without panicking? Well, I think we've all been thrown in like those awkward situations where you either toss the class at last minute or you're like toss the absolute worst class at last minute. Like out of all 12 classes, let's give you like 2-1, which is just, you know, most horrible class in the world because the teacher's having a breakdown and can't teach them anymore, you know, and just here's five minutes to come up with a plan. Go, you know, like that's <laughs> I like the sound of the uh, the senator who became no the spaceman who became a senator. Is that right? Yeah. That sounds really interesting. Yeah. He's our Minister of Transport right now, Mark Garneau. You know, I asked you about your average day and you're interviewing people and so on. Could you give us a snippet of like maybe an interview or a project you've done recently and just what it was about and just so I'm just get a better idea. Well, I, I interviewed a carver last week. I wrote the story a couple days ago. And he, yeah, he's a First Nations carver. He grew up in a resident, or sorry, he grew up in his First Nations village, but his grandparents had raised him. He's the oldest son of his family. So they often send them off to the grandparents to be raised, which I didn't know. And uh, yeah, so, so that he gets the culture passed on to him but his parents had gone through residential school. I don't, or grandparents had gone through residential school, which I don't know if you guys are aware of, but uh, back in the day, actually not too long ago, the government sent a bunch of First Nation, well, for all First Nations children to these schools and they were abused and, and mistreated and you know, stripped of their culture. And it's really messed up all for like a lot of First Nations generations today because of it. Yeah, they're called yeah, the and, and, generation in Australia, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I knew Australia had a similar story. So anyway, his story was fantastic because he had gone through this this whole um, tra traumatic experience growing up. He was living on the streets at one point, and then he he was doing drugs and and drinking, and then he got into carving, or one of the most um, well known carvers here, and he's now using carving as his outlet, and he's fantastic. He's sober right now, and. Some of his work is just out of this world. So he just carved this pole with all the different crests from the First Nations in this community and their subcrests. And it was just, it was beautiful. So those, that's one story I did this week. Another, another series that I'm working on right now is a housing series because there are a lot of um, people without homes right now, especially in Canada. There's, uh, I don't want to get into the politics of it, but they're losing a lot of social housing units. And where I'm living right now is kind of like Gladstone, Australia, where we're getting all this prospect, all these prospects from industry and LNG. 
And so because of that, housing prices have just skyrocketed. For example, a few years ago, or six years ago or something, the pulp mill closed here and everybody left. And then the fishing industry is dying. And so to rent a house about three years ago cost 500 bucks, mm. a whole house, a month. And now it's, oh gosh, triple, quadruple that. Like my little, yeah. little apartment's $800 a month. And they're looking at uh, putting, they, there's no homeless shelter here. Mm. So where do they go, right? Yeah. And so they're working on that right now. And slowly the city's building and growing and getting more money. But it's just, it's really fascinating to see how, <laughs> how, how that's such a huge issue here in such a small community. So that's, that's one of the series I'm working on right now. What if someone would like to hear this podcast? Where could they go to see their series? Uh, oh, I can put that on my website. So shannonlaw.com is where I have my blog and I keep some of my favorite stories that I've written and videos and everything else. And you can contact me through there as well. So if you have any questions about the JET program, I actually met someone the other day who was considering applying with his wife. So I was giving him some tips. I was so pumped. I was like, oh yeah, talk to me, talk to me. <laughs> I'll tell you everything. <laughs> After Jet, some of us, like yours truly, have become a little bit jet evangelical. For example, this one time when I called up my internet provider to complain about something or other, I went from grilling the poor tech guy to advising him on applying for the Jet program because that's what I do now. If you're interested in following Shen Lo, I've included her LinkedIn in the footnotes. Also included is a link to her website with the news articles that she mentioned in the episode. Also, feel free to rate and subscribe to Life After Jet on SoundCloud, iTunes, or whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts.